Welcome to the High Income Business Writing Podcast, helping you propel your writing business to a whole new level. And now, here's your host, Ed Gandia. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining me for Episode 6 of the High Income Business Writing Podcast. I am your host, Ed Gandia, and this is the podcast for business writers and copywriters who want to take their writing businesses to the six-figure level or the part-time equivalent. You can find detailed show notes for this episode by going to b2blauncher.com forward slash episode six, the number six. So if you're driving, jogging, or just somewhere where you just can't take notes, don't worry. I got your back. These are detailed notes that you can reference later at your convenience. Today, I'm taking a departure from the types of shows that I've been doing since I launched this podcast, and I'm going to be sharing with you my story, my story of how I stumbled into freelance writing and how I've turned freelance writing into a six-figure business. Many of you who have followed me for a while know parts of the story, which I've shared in articles and video trainings. But I realized the other day that I've never shared my full story publicly. I'm constantly asked how I did this, how I've been able to grow my business uh, to this level and how I've done it successfully. So I figured I'd take some time to share my journey with you. Now, this is going to be two parts. Uh, I'm going to do so half today, half next week. And I'm not just going to just ramble on and tell you my story. I'm going to also highlight key lessons and turning points in this journey. My goal is to share both the successes and the struggles that I've endured. Every story is messy, guys, and I just want to give it all to you and show you uh, the good, the bad, the ugly. So you see that this thing, you know, just wasn't uh, picture perfect. This wasn't a movie. This is, uh, you know, this story is a story of struggle, a story of success, and uh, there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of messy parts in between. I'm also going to show you that. Any writer with solid skills can do this, and I hope my story illustrates this. Um, and finally, I, I want to do this and share the story with you because I want to satisfy much of the curiosity out there about what I do day to day, how I spend my time, where my income comes from, and so forth. These are questions I constantly get, and I've wanted to address them uh, in this format. So a good starting place for this is uh, January 2003. And I'm enjoying a beer with one of my best friends. And I, I really don't remember a lot before this or how I came to this conclusion. But I do remember this is the first time I actually told someone that I wanted to either buy a business or start a business within the next five years. I wanted to become an entrepreneur. Uh, to give you an idea of where I was in my life at the moment, uh, we had just had our first child, and I just felt out of control, out of control in my own career, uh, my own future, and I wanted to take charge. I wanted to start making my own decisions. Um, I had recognized for a while at this point that I was just wired to do my own thing. I didn't know exactly what I would do, but I knew that I'd find the answer. And I just had this idea, you know what? Five years. Five years, I'll either launch something new or I'll buy an existing business uh, from someone who wants to get rid of it and grow it. So out of nowhere, and I want to say it was maybe a month or so later, I get this letter in the mail 
Uh, and some of you are familiar with it because uh, AWAI, American Writers and Artists, was doing this promotion for several years for their copywriting program um, that started out with a headline, Can You Write a Letter Like This? And essentially what they were promoting is a copywriting program, uh, a direct response copywriting program. And the big idea was, hey, if you can write a simple letter like this, you can do this work. And I just fell in love with that concept. I was already selling on paper to feed my family. Uh, I was in sales. I had been in, in corporate sales for, gosh, at this point, almost 10 years. And at the time, I was selling software. My employer was a small company, a very conservative small company with a limited budget that uh, in high expectations. And I, for my sales job, I wasn't giving any leads. I had to find my own prospects, do all my own prospecting. And when I look back, I've this was nothing new. I had had a similar situation with my last two employers. Um, I was just forced to find my own opportunities, uh, find my way. I was thrown to the wolves, so to speak, in uh, every situation that, I, that I'd worked in. And I don't just sit around waiting for people to, um, to feed me solutions, to feed me answers. I just go out there and try to find solutions. And one of the, uh, the ideas that I'd had in my previous job to this was to uh, use sales letters and similar direct response vehicles to try to generate leads. I had uh, run into a book called Selling to Vito, V-I-T-O, which stands for a very important top officer, and another book called The Power to Get In. I'm not even sure if these books are available anymore. This is right around the year this 99, 2000, somewhere around there. And these books showed you how to do that. They showed you how to write simple sales or lead generating letters to get an appointment or a phone call with someone. Uh, I had also been studying sales letter writing for a few months uh, through some books from Dan Kennedy. And I was using all this information to send out prospecting emails, physical sales letters, and believe it or not, faxes. At the time, I was uh, had had great success with doing some some faxing before it became <laughs> before it became illegal to do so. And the thing is, this stuff had worked for me. Um, I got phone calls, uh, return phone calls. I got personal appointments. I got personal appointments with some very large companies, some Fortune five hundred companies, with some executives by doing this stuff. Um, and with my current employer at the time, the small software company, it was working beautifully, especially the faxing campaigns. Uh, I would do one, I would say, about once a month, and I would let it run overnight. Uh, and I tell you what, by the next morning, I had several return faxes uh, with people interested. They wanted, and the, the call to action, the offer was a 20-minute demonstration of my software system. So... I would set appointments for the next few weeks, and they would keep me busy for a while. It worked really, really well. Now, let me take a step back because the path that I was on is not a path that I had planned. I had never wanted to end up in sales. I was a finance major in college. Uh, I, I wanted to work somewhere in finance. I didn't know where, but that's that's what I liked. And unfortunately, we were coming out of the recession of the early 90s, uh, and... <laughs> 
sales jobs are the only jobs I could find. I ended up with a company that sold uh, large diameter pipe valves, fittings, fire hydrants. I actually sold fire hydrants, folks. Fire hydrants. <laughs> sold fire hydrants to, to underground utility contractors. And um, I was only given cutthroat or virgin territories. I wasn't given anything that was developed. I'd never had it easy. These situations basically forced me to innovate, forced me to find solutions. Again, forced me to find my own way because I had to make numbers. So my first lesson here early on in my career was that every difficult situation had the seed of something great in it. Because honestly, at the time, even though I was not very pleased with the fact that I had to really grow everything myself and find my own leads and just work so hard, it was that challenge that forced me to to grow, to f- find solutions to the problem. And it's these solutions that led me to, to writing. So when the idea, going back to this promotion that I'd gotten from AWAI for their copywriting course, when that idea landed on my lap, it seemed perfect. It, it was the best of both worlds. I can now have my own business, but one with no employees, little overhead, few headaches. It also offered something that was very important to me, the ability to avoid weekly travel. And the reason that was important to me is that even though I had been thrown into these very, very challenging sales territories, I had managed to make something out of it. I had managed to succeed grow sales, grow my income in the process. And I had uh, reached a six-figure level. I was maintaining that level, doing very well financially. And unfortunately, the way sales works is the better you do, the more that is expected of you. You meet that expectation, and then you're promoted, and then you're given better territory. So it's kind of ironic. Uh, In order to do well in sales, you have to perform very well, in difficult situations, and then you're given the better territories. At least that's how it works in many organizations. So that's exactly what was happening to me. I had thrived in many challenging territories, doing well financially, and I was being pushed into a different product, into a different territory that was going to require pretty much weekly travel, being away from my family every week. Now, that would have meant a significant boost to my income, And I knew exactly what that would do to me. I knew that that would eventually end up being a treadmill where I would continually chase higher and higher income levels, which would create more responsibilities for me, more demands, which would create more income for me, and it would become a vicious cycle that would be very, very difficult to get out of. And then you get to a point where you just can't afford to quit. You're making so much money that you just kind of deal with the whole travel thing. And it's very, very difficult to just hit the reset button. So I spent most of 2003 studying the AWAI Accelerated Program for Six-Figure Copywriting. I I bought the program, loved it. And it was right around October, November 2003, later on that year, that I started prospecting for clients with sales letters. Sales letters had already worked for me in my software business, uh, in my sales career. So I went ahead and used that. And I wrote copy on spec for Nightingale Conant for a postcard campaign. I 
never got anything out of it. They wouldn't call me back. Um, and, you know, bottom line is after a few months of, of sending out hundreds of letters, knocking on doors, I got nowhere. Uh, by February of the following year, February 2004, I had landed a whopping 600 or $800, somewhere in that neighborhood in, in income. And I realized that knowing how to write great copy was just not going to cut it. I thought that, you know what, I'm formally trained. I've been doing this uh, for a while myself. I can write great copy. I can write well. Uh, clients should recognize that and hire me. And had a big wake-up call. Realized that, you know what, it's not just about writing great copy is about being or about being a great writer. You have to be very good at self-promotion. So it's already assumed that you can write well. The important thing is knowing how to promote yourself very well and very efficiently. I was great at selling my product at work, but I wasn't great at selling myself and at selling my copywriting services. So I knew I needed help. And in February 2004, I hired a coach, uh, Chris Marlowe. Some of you are familiar with her. Uh, she was exactly what I needed at that moment. I worked with her for three months, and we created an action plan. And she helped me position myself. She uh, basically suggested I, I pick a niche. Now, for me, uh, picking a niche and specializing in a target market made sense. And I say that, and we'll probably do another podcast on this very soon. I say this because this whole picking a niche thing has, I think, uh, gotten a little too much attention. I don't think it's the right approach for everybody. But in my case, it made a lot of sense because of my experience, because of uh, my years in, in sales, and specifically in software sales. There was a great opportunity there. It just made a lot of sense to specialize in that industry. So, you know, th there is a lesson here, and it's that just because it's a solo business, just because you're on your own and the cost of entry to start a freelance writing or freelance copywriting business is so low, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't invest in yourself in your business. I see a lot of people do this. They, I think they're fooled by the fact that, gosh, I can get started with nothing, just a laptop and an internet connection, and that's it. And, you know, I think that's a big mistake. I think just like in any business, there's a cost of entry. You just may not realize it. And sometimes we have to make investments in our business and in ourselves. And in my case, I hiring Chris was was huge. I mean, it was a turning point in my career. She knows this. I've told her many times. I've shared this with other people. Uh, it was exactly what I needed. It, it cost me a lot of money, but... I have no doubt that without her help, I wouldn't be where I am today. Now, the first client. So I started working with Chris, uh, I think it was March 1st, actually. So I hired her in February. Took me about six months. It was right around August, September that I landed that, that first client. So it took a while. Uh, and the good news is, though, that once that first client came, the others started coming back to back. Uh, it seems like getting that first client is often the hardest obstacle to overcome. Once you can get through that, it's almost like you're now in the game and things start happening. But the key is landing that first client, which can be a big struggle sometimes. You know, a lesson I want to point out here is 
looking back, it's very clear to me that the emotions, the beliefs, the energy, and the confidence that you bring into your prospecting efforts will determine how quickly you start landing clients. I would have probably landed my first client sooner, but I was starting to doubt whether there were actually any freelance writing clients out there, believe it or not. I, it just didn't seem real to me uh, after trying for several months and not getting anywhere. So with that attitude, with this fear and doubt, guess what? That's exactly what I attracted. I attracted no clients. And I could talk all day long about belief and why you need to keep the faith during this process, but I know that's not going to help you if you're not getting clients. So my suggestion and my advice is to go for quick wins. You need quick wins to feed your confidence and to help you see that this is real, that the opportunity is real. Uh, these wins don't have to be monumental. They just, you know, they could be a small client. It could be someone that was referred to you, a friend, a colleague, uh, a relative, you know, for a couple hundred dollars. You're just writing some web copy for them. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. As long as there's payment involved, um, the key is it's a client. And the win has to be good enough to show that, to prove to you that you can do this, that this thing is real. So, you know, my takeaway there and my suggestion for those of you who are getting started is, you know, don't worry about goals a year or two down the line. When you're getting started, have one goal. And that goal is to land one paying client, regardless of the amount of that first project. Make that your absolute biggest goal, your only goal for now, because once you do that, your attitude will start changing and the energy you bring in your prospecting will start changing. So it's very important that you focus on that. All right. So here we are. It's fall 2004. And what's my plan? I mean, I still have my full-time day job. I couldn't afford to quit. You know, again, we have a small child. I have a family. I'm the sole breadwinner. I had to be careful. I couldn't take a lot of risk. So my plan was to work my freelance business part-time on the side until I'm ready to take the leap. And for me, being ready meant socking away a year's worth of living expenses, uh, have some steady client work, and the ability to secure affordable health insurance for me and my family. So that that was a must. If, if I couldn't land, if I couldn't get uh, health insurance at a reasonable cost, then it just wasn't going to happen because I, I was the only one who was going to provide it. My wife, again, she was a stay-at-home mom, and uh, we I wasn't about to put my family at risk. So how did I land work? Well, it was a combination of things, and this was really interesting. Um, I found that I, I needed a few things working uh, all at once in order to, to give me diversity in terms of my prospecting efforts. So I worked with Chris, Chris Marlowe, to create a direct mail campaign. And I started with that, and that generated a few leads and a few clients. Also, I did some warm email prospecting. And for those of you not familiar with this concept, this is something that I've coined and essentially, it's um, you know, it's cold calling with email. It's just short, inviting, personalized email messages to handpick prospects, to just designed to just generate a response. This is not designed to get a uh, project. It's just something very quick, personalized. Just to say, hey, I noticed this about you. 
Uh, here's what I do. I think I could help you depending on what you're doing in that area. Should we connect? Should we talk? And so I started experimenting with this again. I had This is a technique that I had also started doing uh, back in my sales days, uh, earlier sales days. And uh, I decided to go ahead and try it here again. Also did some networking at local prospect-rich events and organizations. And I've specifically one of them, the Technology Association of Georgia, was very good for me because it was a very prospect-rich organization. What I decided to do was become very involved as a volunteer there. And that was huge. That was huge for me. In fact, one of my key clients came out of this. And it was a company that I almost, gosh, I, I almost didn't land. And not because I messed up because I almost didn't go to the event where I ended up meeting their VP of marketing. It was an event that I had committed to going to, but that morning I just didn't feel like going and I almost didn't go. But I said, you know what, let me just, I don't know, something told me, just go, just go. You've already committed to doing it. Just go and get through it. It was a home morning. And uh, I did. And I, I met the VP of marketing at this event and he said, you know what, um, give me your card. We have a need for a white paper writer. Uh, I'm going to have my assistant call you. And I just thought, okay, he was just being nice. But I tell you what, they called me and they called me a few days later and I had an appointment and I got work and it was very important work because it was, uh, that's when I really started cranking with white papers. They taught me some things because of the white papers they were writing that, that served me for the rest of my writing career. So it's just amazing how something that I almost didn't go to just because I felt the nudge. I went ahead and went, and it, it changed my business. Uh, another way I landed a client was by tapping my network. Uh, so one of the best and longest-running clients that, I, that I've had, and actually until last year, uh, came from a friend of a friend. Uh, and, you know, there's a big lesson there. Just take your friends out to lunch, to coffee, even if they're not in marketing and explain what you're doing, you know, just see if, if they know someone who might be able to, uh, to use your services. Most of these aren't going to go anywhere, but I tell you this particular lunch appointment with this friend, she was very well connected and I knew that she happened to be in marketing. Now she couldn't do anything for me directly, but, uh, she talked to a few people and she found someone who needed help and she referred me. And again, that became a long-term client for me worth, you know, well over a hundred thousand dollars. I want to say maybe even closer to $200,000 over seven years. Uh, I also did online networking, uh, specifically very targeted forums such as softwareceo.com because again, software was my, my specialty, my target market. Um, and after about a year, I started getting about one inquiry a month through search engine optimization. So I didn't get leads from from search engines right away, but again, it took about a year and I started getting one, uh, maybe two a month sometimes. So I, I did get some clients from that. So it was a combination of factors. Now, I'm often asked, how did I juggle my, my launch with a demanding full-time day job? Because again, I still had my, my day job. And the do the job was very demanding. Um, basically, this is this is a sales job again. It's a small company, high expectations. Uh, you know, there's no 
budgets here for people who just don't make numbers. In fact, if you didn't make your sales numbers, you just didn't last long. Uh, and when I say long, I mean you wouldn't if you didn't make a quarterly sales number and you did it again the next quarter, you'd be gone. I mean, it was very clear. So very little room for error. I had growing sales quotas to meet. I had to be careful. And to make it worse, I had to be careful with the types of prospects I reached out to. I couldn't, in terms of my my copywriting business, I, I couldn't use a big part of my professional network because I didn't want to risk my employer finding out about my side gig. I was very careful uh, and ethical about um about my time and how I used it, and I worked nights and weekends. That's how. That's when I worked my part-time gig. But I didn't want to go out of my way to let my employer know about this because I didn't want any doubts creeping in, especially if I had kind of a bad quarter. I didn't want them to think that it was because of my part-time gig. So I decided to focus on doing an amazing job at work. Uh, my income was variable because I got a base salary, a modest base salary, but most of my income was commissions. So the better I did, the more I'd earn, which would mean reaching my savings goal faster. So believe me, I had plenty of incentives to do well in my day job. And yes, I'd handle inquiries if and when they came in, but I tried automating as much of it as possible. And I'm talking about my freelance business inquiries. Uh, I developed standard response templates that I could just copy and paste and you know, customize a little bit. And that way, um, if I did get something during a day, I could handle it pretty easily without spending a lot of time and then work on it that evening a little bit more. Um, again, I worked nights, weekends, basically 8 o'clock to 10, 11 o'clock at night uh, once my son was in bed. Uh, I did pull several all-nighters over the next couple of years. And I worked Weekends, I worked usually Saturdays from 6 a.m. until about noon or 1 p.m. I try to keep Sundays free for my family. And, I, you know, this was not easy, guys, um, not easy at all. But once I started earning $1,000, $2,000 a month or so, I could see the light at the end of the tunnel, and it made that sacrifice a little bit better, a little bit more bearable. A key takeaway here um, is to focus on baby steps. You know, when you're in the situation, it could seem, your goal can seem very far away. The goal of quitting your day job and doing this full time, it can seem very distant, uh, sometimes even impossible. So when that, you start to feel that way, just focus on the next step. You know, you can always take that next step, right? Just baby steps. The next one is easy. So focus on today only. Focus on, you know, this week. That's it. What can you do today? What can you do tomorrow? What can you do this week? Don't worry about, you know, next month uh, or later this year, next year. Forget it. In fact, I would say even focus on today only. What can you do today? What can you do today to advance towards your goal? And don't worry about your target date for quitting your day job. It's okay to set it as a goal, but stay focused on the next baby step. Stay focused on today. Now, over the first gosh, year or two years, I will tell you that not every client was great. Not every prospect that I came across was amazing. Uh, you know, some, some examples of some bad prospects and clients. So most of my first five or six clients were, some of them were pretty bad. Um, I wrote package copy for a potato chip company. You know, here I am, I'm trying to go after software companies and 
I got this inquiry from one of my direct mail campaigns that I had done way back um, about writing ex- descriptive copy for the back of a potato chip company and for the back of, of their snacks. And I, $200 for just a few words, I took it and I wrote several of those. And you know what? The way, again, the way I saw it is this is more money for my savings goal. Uh, I got hired by this telecom service company to write, gosh, dozens of short bios for some of their their people, their their sales managers all over the world. That was painful. Uh, it was boring. <laughs> um, I got a job f- to uh, work with this very technical company uh, writing some of their brochures and websites I got uh, it was just painful because I did honestly I didn't understand what they did and I wrote brochures for another company that wrote uh, that created a uh, software that managed mainframe computers I had no idea uh, what the stuff was I had to do a lot of research to just to understand the basics and I, I even wrote a, a lead generation letter for a distant relative who was trying to break into consulting. You know, again, these were not the best clients. Um, it wasn't the best money in many cases. But I had to, and this is another key lesson here, I had to balance meeting my savings and experience goals with trying to go after ideal clients only. So instead of telling yourself that this project or this client is a waste of time or just not worth doing because of the low pay, Look at each opportunity as a stepping stone. Each Use each of these opportunities to take you to the next step. Um, so, you know, for example, each project is a new sample, a new opportunity to learn something. Learn how to deal with a special situation. Learn how to tackle a specific aspect of running or managing uh, or producing something. You know, just use that opportunity to learn, to grow and to make you better for the next one because the next one might be just what you want or a little bit closer to what you want. So again, baby steps and just keeping perspective along the way. All right, so fall, I want to fast forward a bit to the fall of 2005 because by this point I was earning about two to $3,000 a month part-time pretty consistently and I was basically taking all my after-tax dollars and socking them away. They were all going into savings to meet that savings goal. I was very, very busy. I was working at least four nights a week, definitely working Saturdays. And I decided to take my boss out to lunch and just tell him what I was doing. I, I had to get it off my chest. And I was doing well in, in my day job, and I just knew that it was going to be okay. So uh, I, I, I told him. I told him what I was doing, and I promised him that I was giving him 100%. That, you know, this was not getting in my way of my job. I told him how I was handling it. And you know what? He took it very well. He was very impressed. He was very encouraging and told me to just, you know, that's fine. Do what you do. Do what you have to do. Make sure it doesn't get in the way of your of your work. He said, I'm proud of you. This is, this is super. Early 2006, things were getting really crazy for me. But at this point, I was definitely working four nights a week, pulling some all-nighters. Uh, I was doing Saturdays, many times all day Saturdays, all day Saturday, and even some Sundays. And fortunately, things changed in my day job. My employer got acquired and by a much bigger company. And my, this new company offered me to stay, which I did at first. 
but only because I wanted a way to cash in my stock options that I had uh, with with this company. Once that was clear, once I knew that um, that the money was going to go into my checking account from those options, I knew it was my time. So uh, I started the health insurance underwriting process because up until this point, there was no point in starting earlier and there's no point in applying way too early. So I, I, I knew I had to get it started. Everything went well, thank goodness. Um, and that was really my last hurdle. I had reached my savings goal by that time. Health insurance was the only thing I needed to acquire. And that went through. I had a steady stream of clients and projects, which is another factor that needed to be in place before quitting my day job. And I was making enough part-time that I knew that if I could just take it full-time, if I had more time to work the business, I would be fine. Uh, All items basically were checked off in my plan. Now, strangely enough, the weekend before I was going to turn in my notice at work, I got cold feet. And I, I I still remember when I talked to my wife about it. We were driving on the we we're on the way to the store and I just asked her if she thought I was making the right decision. And she she had a great response to that. She said, you know, you need to revisit your reasons for going out on your own. You know, have those changed? And the answer was very simple. They hadn't changed. So, you know, the a key takeaway here is when in doubt, always go back to your core reasons. The core reasons for going down this path. You know, what's your why? Your what I call your big why. You need to have a really big why that's not just about the money. Because when you do, when you have a very good, solid, fundamental reason for making this kind of switch, you'll push through the tough times and you'll have a real fundamental reason to get up every day and do your work. You know, guys, this is not easy. I hope, you know, I've given you a, an idea of, of what I went through. You know, I've already shared my my big reasons for doing this. I'm, not only was I wired to do this, I knew this was right for me. I had to be somewhere where I could make my own decisions, chart my own course. But I wanted to have control over my schedule. I wanted to be home. I didn't want to travel. And, you know, those reasons hadn't changed. So, you know what? The next week, I gave my two-week notice. My boss was so happy for me, so proud for me. In fact, he even told me, because we went out to lunch again, that's, you know, let's take this this out of the office. He told me how much he wished he had the same opportunity to go solo. He, He just really wanted it for himself as well. So June 1st, 2006 was my first day as a full-time freelancer. And ironically, I was slammed on day one uh, because, again, I had had uh, I had clients. I had work. And, you know, so even though I, I took a few minutes that day to savor the victory, I found that the real joy came earlier. And a key takeaway here that I wanted to point out is, you know, with any goal, but especially big goals, the value is not in the actual goal. The value is not in obtaining the goal. The value is in what you become in pursuit of that goal. The person you become. And that's a lesson I learned from the late motivational speaker, Jim Rohn. Such a powerful statement. You know, here I am. I finally reached the summit. 
And in a way, it was kind of anticlimactic. I, I had too much work to just kind of take the day off and think about it and celebrate. But that's okay. You know, I did take a few minutes. I was, patted myself on the back. It, really, the growth and the joy had come over the last 27 months in, in this journey. Actually, even longer if you go back to earlier 2003 when I started studying copywriting formally. The last 27 months is really what where I got the value. It's the person that I became over that time. And I did change. Okay, so I think I'm going to stop here because we're, we're out of time. And I'm going to continue the story next week in the next episode. And that's when I'm going to tell you about the year when I lost focus and my business nearly went under. And also I'll tell you about the unexpected victory that saved me uh, later that same year. So stay tuned for that. You can, again, grab the detailed show notes for this episode at b2blauncher.com forward slash episode six. These are detailed notes that make great reference material, especially if you listen to the show in your car or somewhere where you just can't take notes. And I have a few quick announcements. So I'm going to be doing a free live master training class titled How to Launch a Profitable B2B Writing Business in 10 Weeks or Less. If you're a new or aspiring B2B or commercial writer, you don't want to miss this training. It's by far the most popular and well-attended class I do all year. It's a content-rich two-and-a-half-hour class. It includes live Q&A at the end. Seats are limited. I have 500 available seats with GoToWebinar. Uh, and once they're taken, they're taken. I mean, you can't get in after that. So uh, make sure to register. This will not be recorded, so you want to uh, check it out today and save your seat. And you can do that by going to b2blauncher.com forward slash masterclass altogether. Again, this is completely free. It's the most popular free content I deliver every year. So try to be there. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd be very grateful if you shared it with friends. The easiest way to do that is to go to b2blauncher.com forward slash love. This will pre-populate a tweet for you, which makes sharing the podcast a lot easier. Also, it would mean a lot to me if you gave the show a quick rating or review on iTunes. And the easiest way to do that is just to go to b2blauncher.com forward slash iTunes. The blue view and iTunes button on that page will launch iTunes and will take you straight to the show page where you can then leave a star rating and a sentence or two if you'd like. So this brings us to the end of the episode. I am your host, Ed Gandia. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you have an awesome day. The High Income Business Writing Podcast is a production of B2B Business Launcher. Learn more at b2blauncher.com.